It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. I want to tell you my secret now. I see dead Silent Green is people! No, I am the father. What's in the box? You maniac! You blew it up! Damn you all to hell! Hello, and welcome to today's spoiler special. I'm Sam Adams, a senior editor at Slate and the editor of Slate's culture blog, Browbeat, and today I'm in Philadelphia, but I'm joined by a studio full of the Witcher enthusiasts in New York. We have Benjamin Frisch, the producer of Decoder Ring, Hi. editorial assistant Rachel Hampton, hey. and Daniel Schrader, who produces The Gist. Hey! Welcome, everyone. Today we're doing the Netflix series, The Witcher. Ordinarily, this is the part where I give a summary of what the thing is about. Basically, in this case, Henry Cavill has a sword and kills things and two, two swords excuse me he has two swords <laughs> yeah he has two swords he has some sort of magic of uh, spell casting abilities he has one sword for monsters and he has one sword for humans that's very important the silver sword is for monsters <laughs> because you know that like monsters are very weak to silver that's of a, course. A very important every single monster and every single lore is allergic to silver all right well i've already embarrassed myself so i'm just gonna go and let you guys talk <laughs> Let us start with our sort of traditional thumbs up, thumbs down, whether thumbs even apply in this case. What did you guys think? I really loved it. For the first four episodes, I was like, I don't know what the fuck is happening, but I love everything that's happening. I watched with my roommate, who was so much more of a skeptic than I was, and he just kept looking at me, and I was like, I... Please don't judge me, but I love everything that's happening on this television screen right now. Like, it's absolutely wild. And it was just so entertaining and so funny. And I I loved it. That's all I got to say. Hard same. Like, this is the most me thing to exist. <laughs> I love this kind of stuff forever and always. I grew up on Xena and Hercules. And so this just scratches all of those itches and is so much prettier and more expensive. So all the thumbs, all my fingers are thumbs and they're all up. Daniel, who convinced you to watch this show? I don't know. Uh-huh. <laughs> So I love The Witcher 3, which is the video game based on the same property. This is based on a series of books by a Polish author. And I'm a huge fan of that game. And so I like came into this sort of knowing the world a little bit more. And so I'm definitely a thumbs up as well, but kind of a conditional thumbs up, I think. When I was watching this, I was so into it. Like, I, I watched it, I think, almost entirely in one day. Like, I could not Same. put it down. Um, and then when it was over, I was like, hmm, that kind of had some problems. But it didn't <laughs> stop me from loving it in the moment, I guess. And I hope we get to talk about some of those problems. Of course. What problems? <laughs> My introduction to this world came um, sort of I regularly get emails from Netflix like telling me what new press screeners are available on their site. And they come with um, what are called DNRs, which are lists of things that you are supposed to do not reveal uh, about the series. So I knew that The Witcher existed and it was a game and that was it. But um, the list of DNRs for the show was so insane. 
uh, that I was like, I have to see what the hell this thing is about. So this is a spoiler special. I'm going to spoil a good chunk of the series, I think. But this this list is like beautiful poetry all by itself. And I feel a need to share it with you. So Netflix's list of things not to reveal about The Witcher. Do not reveal slash discuss full monsters other than Kikimura and Striga. This includes Hirika, Torque, Golden Dragon, Roachhound, Jin, Doppler. Do not reveal the cost of Yennefer's transformation, that enchantment is in fact torture, or that she loses her womb. Um, do not show discuss how Gerald and Siri meet. Hide Urchion's transformation into Dooney and his importance going forward. Siri's powers parentheses, scream and monolith falls, comma, killing people, close parentheses. <laughs> they are operating in three timelines, Gerald having been in Sintra during the attack slash the pilot, all deaths, parentheses, Renfri, Calanthe, Mausak, Iced, Ike, Dara, Dara being an elf, young Geralt, his mother, and of course, Tissaia turning girls into eels. Of course. Wow. <laughs> I was wait, like, wait. what? That she just lost her womb? Like, it just, she can't find it? Yeah. Um, she's playing hide and go seek with her womb. Maybe the Netflix algorithm actually wrote this list, and I have been, like, brilliantly manipulated by this, but just, she loses her womb? Like, what does that mean? Um, so, of course, I had to watch to find out. Um, and now I know, and my life is infinitely richer for it. I mean, the, the whole history of this thing is really kind of, Amazing. There's a series of, as you mentioned, uh, stories and novels by this Polish author, um, Andrzej Sapkowski, going back to like the mid 80s. Um, there's a movie called The Hexer that was made uh, about 20 years ago. There are the video games, of course. There's this whole enormous kind of expanded cosmos um, with what seems like way more story than any of these things would require. But it's incredibly tangled and sort of fascinating to attempt to unravel. As a tertiary gamer, I am just aware of The Witcher and how good Witcher 3 is and everything like that, but um, hadn't really encountered this before the show, though then as the show aired, I became a um, wiki aficionado where I um, read many, many wiki pages about the different um, aspects of The Witcher lore, so I could definitely go into detail about them, such as the law of surprise, <laughs> but um, we can get into that in a bit. So basically, I just am great at reading Wikipedia. I had absolutely no background with The Witcher besides the fact that I watched The Tudors and therefore am familiar with Henry Cavill's abs. Um, and Netflix just served it to me. And I was like, you know what? The Netflix algorithm knows me very well. I did not even bother Wikipediaing anything as I watched this because I saw the first three pages of Wikipedia and I was like, you know what? I'm not going to read a novel while I'm also watching the show. I'm just not going to understand what's happening. And that's how I went through the show for the first like six episodes. Beautiful. The interesting thing about rereading that list to me is that after having watched the show for eight hours, I still don't know what like half of those things mean. Oh, 100%. Like Dara being an elf, I don't remember <laughs> Dara has or watched. Oh, that was the little black kid that <laughs> saved oh. her and then got murdered. Dara. The magical Negro of the show, Sam. <laughs> Every show has one. Ooh, the <laughs> the race coding in this thing is very weird. Um, and I <laughs> we'll like talk about that. Just going through this, I mentioned that this takes place in three timelines, um, which is not something the show tells you right away and I think it might be like the third or fourth episode where you finally kind of start to 
figure that out of the fact that there are these, if you've seen Westworld recently, the fact that there are these three storylines going on, um, one centered on Geralt, one centered on Yennefer of Vengeberg, um, one centered on Ciri, the lion cub of Sintra. Um, the fact that there's no interaction between these things for several episodes, like may clue you in that there's some time frame shenanigans going on. But when did you all sort of start to figure that out? For me, it was the banquet episode, which is, mm-hmm. I think, the fourth episode when when Geralt. Uh, by the way, Sam, it's Geralt, not Geralt. Oh, People oh my god, uh, I'm murdering so sorry. for that. Um, With uh, the right kind when, of sword, I hope. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Geralt accompanies Yaskier, right? That's his mm-hmm. name. In the games, he's known as Dandelion, which has been confusing. They should for me. have kept that name. Mm-hmm. Yaskier is a sort of foppish bard who meets uh, Geralt by chance and goes on a couple of adventures with him um, and sort of takes on a project of sort of rehabilitating the Witcher's name, I guess. He's sort of the comic relief companion, your secondary party member, as it were, um, to Geralt in a few of the episodes. He runs into him all the time. Yeah, it's like a very small world. This world probably only has like 10 square miles. But, um, <laughs> and he accompanies him to the banquet, which you find out is the banquet for one of the characters who you already know is like dead in the first episode. So then you're like... Yeah, she's Siri's grandmother. Yeah. And she is having a banquet that, that is basically testing out suitors for her daughter. And they run through all of the suitors. And then this one guy comes in and he's like... I claim her by the law of surprise. Everybody watching, we're all just like, what the fuck is the law of surprise? And so then as it unfolds, he pulls off his mask and it turns out he's a monster. But really, he'd been like transformed into one through magic. And the law of surprise is this thing where you can do something for someone. Like if I saved Rachel's life and she was like, oh, my gosh, how could I repay you? I say, I claim the law of surprise, which means that I get the thing that she has but doesn't know she has yet, which... They say in the show is like, oh, you know, like an extra crop of wheat or a baby. (laughs) And so then the only laws of surprise that we encounter are babies where this soldier had claimed this woman. And then at the end of the episode, Geralt ends up jokingly claiming the law of surprise that then the baby that is involved in that is Siri, who we get to know disappointingly okay but can we also talk about the fact that this soldier was like old enough to claim the law of surprise when this other woman was a baby and we're just supposed to believe that they fall in love like no one's going to talk about the fact that he was like i don't think it has they have to be a baby i think it's just like your firstborn child no that's he she was a baby oh was she yes he (laughs) He saved saved her father's father's life. life and he didn't know that his wife was pregnant at the time and that's why she became his through the law of surprise and i paused that part and i was like wait so you're telling me this man married someone that he was alive enough to save someone else's life while she was in the womb i mean (laughs) isn't isn't this just like jacob from the end of that twilight series imprinting on a baby uh we're not gonna talk about the twilight series (laughs) it would be too much but that was fucking crazy it's very confusing right from the beginning that Jodie May, who plays Queen Calanthe and uh, is 44 years old, looks to be, you know, the mother of this teenage girl. And then instead she's like her grandmother and there's no explanation for that uh, whatsoever. And I guess if you're thinking this is like some kind of quasi-medieval timeline and people are like having babies when they're like 13 or something, you can make the math work out. But it's like very weird and not something that the show like even addresses ever. And we find out later that some of the characters, uh, namely the sort of magically enabled ones, 
basically don't age. Um, this is the benefit of losing your womb, is you get to look hot forever. That part's just needlessly confusing and means that, like, that we are running th- through these three different time streams of um, Yennefer and Geralt and Ciri that we can't actually really place ourselves very well in any of their timelines without understanding the way any of them have aged and if they don't age then where are we like when we get the Jennifer plotline of her having to save that woman and the baby it seems like she's been working for these people for maybe like 30 years or something and yet she still looks like she just finished at the magic academy and so that was like a really bad part in terms of the storytelling for me I didn't have a problem with the time stuff at all and I think it might come from the fact that I'm already familiar with the characters in the world and so I knew that like sorceresses don't age and that Geralt is like super old and I first noticed that the plot lines were coming together I was like actually very pleasantly surprised because it was like oh it was like I was finally clued into this thing that I thought the show was doing in a really interesting way but um, that all comes with the caveat of like having a pretty well developed sense of what the world already was. I mean, I think that's a general problem with the show is that it's very obvious that there's a huge amount of world development. Like, all the elements are there. It's that the showrunners don't seem to have known which storylines to actually do a lot of exposition on, which seems the problem of adapting two books of short stories, like five novels and three video games, into eight episodes in a way that is cohesive. But it just felt like they kept mentioning, like, people and things and places and wars and battles that had happened and then that was it they would just mention them and then it would never be talked about again until like six episodes later and you'd be like wait didn't i hear that wait no there's jennifer's boobs again i don't know what's happening anymore and that would be that was my entire experience with the show (laughs) like literally every five minutes there's jennifer's boobs (laughs) someone was like someone should call this jennifer's body (laughs) (laughs) which was a great tweet (laughs) right yeah, no, it, you get the feeling that this is being adapted from a world that has all this complexity and their lines like, I wrote this one down, um, the North has been at war since Nilfgaard took Ebbing, if legend is true, the wild hunts years behind the curve. Um, and then you've no idea, like, what oh, that, That's Nilfgaard actually very or- significant to the lore. <laughs> But do they ever explain that? No, the wild hunt is like a very important thing. One of the games is called. (laughs) Right. But it just makes you long for like one of those like Game of Thrones maps where like I just like where Mm -hmm. is Mm -hmm. Ebbing and like where's the sodden pass? And like, I mean, just even saying this stuff makes me want to like give myself a wedgie. Um, But (laughs) like I feel like such a nerd. Um, But I don't even understand what I'm talking about. I think there's a balance that's trying to be struck here between, you know, obviously like there's a core built in audience for these things who know all this stuff and you don't want to over explain it but just also like where is that from here and how do you get there and can't they call these people something other than nilf guardians i think that part of the overcomplicated world building and the long-running storyline of the series is where i really lost it Personally, I think my favorite parts and for me, the strongest parts are when we get the sort of one off stories that from my research on Wikipedia um, seems to be the basis of a lot of the short stories that uh, this was pulled from. So you have the story about um, Yennefer and Yaskier and Geralt going to kill and or save, spoiler alert, the gold dragon. You have the Dijin story and things like that where they were kind of standalone pieces. And I would love to watch more of those where you get just like a drop into 
Geralt's adventures and a drop into Yennefer's adventures as opposed to having to figure out this overarching story about the politics of this world that doesn't really have any coherent substance yet from my perspective. Yeah, I felt like it was battling between being a Monster of the Week show and being like a Game of Thrones type show. And it didn't necessarily strike that balance well into perhaps the last episode. Like there were so many questions that were never answered. Like they never really answered how do witches become witches besides the fact that most people die when it happens. My least important question was whether Roach the horse was sentient because of the way that Geralt talked to him. I was just like, does this horse understand what's happening? Is he a monster? Like, is I think that a Roach curse? Is just a horse. <laughs> well, but, well, we don't know. Roach is, rules. Is Roach but... a magic horse that lives forever? Like, like no, I have... no. I think he's just a horse. <laughs> okay. Or is it like how would Benji, we know that with anything else that's happening in the show? One roach, and then you replace it with another roach. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> no, I actually think that that's right. Like, I think that in the lore there's like multiple horses in the role okay. named Roach but uh, that might be wrong is this like a oh who is it is it Barbara Streisand who got her dog cloned so she can keep having the same dog is that the scenario do yes. they remember yep. everything that the previous Roach went through <laughs> <laughs> it's getting very dark and Where, complicated where's the show um, about Roach <laughs> just none of it made sense yeah, I think Roach is like equally ascension as Henry Cavill, basically. Aww. Maybe we should go through sort of like character by character rather than trying to recount this whole plot. You know, Henry Cavill I mean, hasn't done a lot outside of sort of franchise movies, so we really, in a way, like haven't seen him act all that much. But he's got this very weird job here. People have a lot of attachment to the way that this character like looks and sounds. And, you know, he's coming into it as like sort of a movie star, I guess. I mean, he's Superman, although he hasn't really been in much kind of other than the DC movies. Um but he's got to basically kind of copy this performance that people are going to expect. I mean, how good a, a Geralt is he? I really liked him in this show. I think that he has a face made for period pieces. He was decent in the Tudors. I think he did a really good balance of the character seems to be perpetually taking his job super seriously, but also thinking that like everyone around him is an idiot and he's just half caught between like disdain and amusement for everyone around him. But also this... There's like a humanity to him that you don't really expect from a monster catcher who's just taking people's monies where he's like, oh, I care about like this one harmless monster. Like we shouldn't kill him just to kill. Like he has this like wiseness to him, but also he does a lot of stupid things. I just I liked him in this role. I was fine with him, even though Henry Cavill is a person that annoys the fuck out of me because he's done some dumb things in the past. I also I also liked him in this. He's apparently a fan of the game and based his performance in large part on the the character performance in the games, which read for me. And uh, I thought he did a, a really good job. Also, just that body yaddy yaddy. Like, that's what I was here for. And it was great. The, t- the tub scenes. <laughs> oh, yes. Those were so gratuitous, and I loved it. I'm, uh, yeah. I also loved his Christian Bale as Batman voice. Like, why was he doing this, like, deep rasp the entire time? <laughs> yeah, I definitely like not really knowing the games and just sort of being plopped into the first episode. I was like, oh, he's really just going to, he's going to do this. Like, the whole time he's going to talk like this. <laughs> It was hilarious. I was like, you you committed, and I hope your throat is okay after this entire thing. There's a lot of, like, tea involved, a lot of throat coat. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. Really had to take care of that voice. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. 
Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. We should talk about um, Yennefer of Vengerberg, I guess it is. <laughs> Hopefully I'm pronouncing that correctly. Vengerberg. Vengerberg. Vengerberg, oh <laughs> It's okay. None of the names entirely makes sense. Although, she's from Vengerberg. That's why she's Yennefer of Vengerberg. Yeah, but the name Yennefer of Vengerberg just defies logic to me, and I can't explain why. <laughs> I like Yennefer of Vengabus. Uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, I, I like that they just call her, like, <laughs> mm-hmm. that they just call her Yennefer. That's, like, taking the sort of George R.R. R. Martin thing of, like, what if I named somebody Jeff but threw in, like, 18 extra vowels? And that would make it, like, mm-hmm. a fantasy name. Um, it's just like, what if it's just Jennifer with a Y? <laughs> well, and I did think it was cute when Geralt called her Yen at times. That was that was adorable. I liked her before she got pretty. I really enjoyed her struggles as a childhood hunchback who gets um, purchased for four marks, which is probably like, I don't know, a dollar. Less than a pig. Um, yeah, less than a pig. And has to go live at this magic castle place and learn magic and i really enjoyed watching her struggle as she tried to figure out how to do this and access this deep well of emotions that she needs to be able to perform such amazing magic feats but then she goes and gets pretty and i just found her boring after that i don't know i don't think personally the actress really did much for me so maybe that's it I think the greatest weakness of the show is probably the treatment of her in the middle section of the show. Her whole baby arc yeah, um, that is oof. was extremely bad and kind of came out of nowhere and to me just seemed to play into this trope of like women, the only kind of plot lines they're allowed to have are around children and like it, it just didn't make a lot of sense to me why she was so interested in having a baby when she had all this hot groovy power. I also just didn't understand why she didn't just adopt a child. It's a magical fantasy world. There are surely orphans. Like, you can just find a child on the street. Like, mm-hmm. the way they... Steal one. <laughs> steal well, a like child. When... You're a witch. Like, the way the motherhood plotline came out of it, it was very much like, of course Jennifer wants a baby. She's a woman. And I was just like, why? I feel like she would have given greater thought to giving her womb away if she had any lifelong desire to be a mother. But also, you could easily get around not having a womb to have a child. Like, it just felt like it was there for its sake. And they're like, Jennifer needs a plot line in the middle before she admits Geralt. We got to give her some. Well, in the way that she got angry at Geralt for having a surprise child and she was just jealous of that. Oh, yeah. That was dumb. Um, I Yeah, the whole baby plot line for me was just get rid of this, guys. <laughs> Shut it down. Well, Shut- it did seem like they moved past it. So I was happy that hopefully they never return to that. Do again. we think she's still alive? Yennefer? Yeah. yeah. Spoiler alert. She's definitely still she's alive. alive at the end she's of the definitely. <laughs> she's not the, dead. The last time we saw her, she does the fire blast. Like we don't see her again. Oh. And I'm not saying that she's dead, but like yeah, she disappears at the end of the season. But I mean, I think it's not. I don't think you're even really supposed to worry about whether or not she's coming back. Yeah, I mean that's every TV show, if especially fantasy show. If, unless you see their actual corpse with like blood pouring from it, then they're probably still alive. Right, so basically anyway. just to kind of give people like a vague sense of her plot line, she is this, as we mentioned, this kind of hunchbacked daughter, you know, it's this kind of, 
I don't know, Dickensian fantasy childhood where she's basically just living in the pig pen and like doing chores and he just gets sick of her and like sells her to Saya, the sort of, you know, Hogwarts headmistress for like 50 cents one day um, because she has some kind of connection to chaos, which is the thing that sort of causes magic in this universe. Like it's just a force that some people can channel and some people can't. And she's got this nascent power. Um, she goes and studies at this place for a while and doesn't really seem like she's getting anywhere, but then kind of suddenly learns to do this thing and then and then is basically told that um, if she wants to kind of ascend to her, her full magedom, she has to, you kind of have to give something to get something. And in this case, that something is her womb, um, which they remove from her body and then kind of like crisp up on a little hibachi and then uh, like... <laughs> grind it into paste and paint her with it and do some sort of spell and whatever. And then, you know, her body straightens up and her jaw, which she's been kind of like jutting out to one side for three episodes, kind of uh, centers and, you know, she figures out how to do a smoky eye um, and, you know, dress for her body type uh, and just walks in and is like super hot. She gives up her womb to be hot, basically, is <laughs> her character arc. I don't hate that idea on principle. Like, the fact that you have to give something up to be, like, super beautiful. And there are interesting, I think, lore reasons why sorceresses or sorcerers should be sterile in this universe. Like, I think that that creates interesting complications. But just the way that it's used in the story just feels kind of obvious and sort of blah. Right. No, I was thinking while I was watching, like, I mean, there is a way where that works, you know. And it is, like, obviously, it's like a huge thing for a person to give up is like literally giving up like a part of their body this whole you know for closing this whole like you know potential part of their life in order to get power it's just like that that seems to be like the only aspect of her character it's just reducing her like just to that aspect that makes it so kind of seem so retrograde yeah and not to beat the adoption thing like over its head but the first baby that she seems to really enjoy is not her own she was gonna raise somebody else's child and i'm like why is this option suddenly foreclosed to the point where you're gonna kill a dragon for it like just find a baby on the street it's not that hard like there's one running around this entire show just like doing her own shit you could find a child pretty easily it just made no sense like why she suddenly wanted like a biological child of her own didn't understand it right and it seems like in this world there are probably just babies like sitting in the mud like everywhere yes pick one up in every single fantasy world there's always some orphan who grows up to be like a powerful person and i'm like go find that orphan take care of that orphan raise that orphan the orphan will love you (laughs) it just didn't make any like the the priding of biological children in this was so like i think that's what made that storyline more sexist than her even wanting a child it was just like her being like i only want one who was of my own flesh it's like seems not important in this world not gonna lie but that's just my opinion (laughs) So there's Yennefer and then there's Siri, who is perhaps the least interesting person in this entire show. Siri, uh, my favorite character, as you can tell, is the granddaughter of Queen Calanthe, who we met in the first episode and who died. And she is the child of surprise that Geralt won by accident at the end of the banquet episode when the couple finds out that they are pregnant and he 
tries to run away from that and deny that this child is his or is associated with him in any way. So he like gets out of Dodge, but then she has to spend her entire time over the season um, searching for him, trying to find him after her kingdom has been overthrown by Nilfgaard and all of her um, family has been killed. And so we follow her as she runs through the forest encountering beasts and uh, villains who are trying to stop her from getting there and trying to use her for their own nefarious means that we don't really understand. She's magical. Yeah, there's a lot of hints dropped about how important she is to the world and whatever apocalyptic event is about to happen, but it's never explained, so. And is of no consequence to the season. Great. (laughs) You love to see it. (laughs) Do we have anything to say about Sandy? I didn't didn't (laughs) think she was a bad performer. Oh, no, no, no. no. I just found her storyline. The actress is fine. Uninteresting. It was a lot of running. Yep. (laughs) And a lot of, like, exasperated huffing. Mm Mm-hmm. And she's kind of like an aimless Frodo. Yeah, yeah. I mean, she didn't have a lot of like she didn't have a lot of agency in herself, so there was just not a lot of thrust to her storyline because it's like, what does she want? She just like I don't know. Is like sort of I guess trying to find Geralt, kind but of, has no but idea no, how, and no has no idea who he is or how to do it. Also, I just hated that the elf kid Dara just was so willing to sacrifice himself for her multiple times, and I'm like, this kid doesn't know you. Why is he? Why is he still here? Go home. Also, who is the, the tribe of Amazonian women they meet in the forest? Excuse me, they are dryads. <laughs> I was upset about that. <laughs> and there was some magic water that had to be drunk. Uh, guys. And you, uh, magic water that, <laughs> that like, divines people's intentions, and yet they didn't force the doppelganger to yes. drink it, mm-hmm. which would have resolved a lot of things. A whole lot of plot lines. But also, can we talk about the fact that the wizard's name was Mousesack? Mouse sack? Mouse balls. <laughs> no, yeah. Mouse sack. <laughs> Just so I was like, that must be some weird like translation thing, but it's actually completely different in the books. It's not no. like <laughs> his name is Polish for mouse bag or something, and they just well, translated it weird. Like, yeah, it I'd... shows that. Oh, great. That was a great choice. Show runners. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'd be curious about translation things like that because I know that uh, originally when it was published in English, the um, Polish author preferred the uh, term hexer instead of witcher for the translation of Geralt's character. Mm. And um, that's actually what the first, I think, movie and TV show that they made about this were called. And Hexer's such a bad name in comparison mm. to Witcher. Like, Witcher, for some reason, adds this, like, interesting uh, mystery in it's a way that... It's weird. Yeah, it's weird in a way that Hexer's like, oh, you, what do you do, Hexes? <laughs> so... I'll give you that. Yeah, anyway, tra- <laughs> translation-wise, that's probably the mouse sack versus <laughs> um, other name issue. One of the things that is really interesting about the show is that the cast is pretty diverse, racially, um, which is not the case in the games and is actually one of the main criticisms that's been leveled against the games hmm. uh, is that they are very, very white, to which there is a huge cadre of fans who say, but this is, excuse me, this is Slavic fantasy. You can't possibly have, you know, multiracial people in this Slavic fantasy because people in Poland can't possibly imagine other people of other races. And um, so to me, a lot of the the multiracial casting in the show seems to be a direct response to that, which I actually think is really admirable. Rachel, I would love for you to explain. I I think that it um, maybe falters in some ways. For a fantasy show, I was very impressed by the diversity. I was 
directly comparing it to Game of Thrones, and I was just like, oh my god, there are black people in speaking roles, and mm-hmm. they're not all light skinned. I was upset that the three main characters are all white passing, and I'm as the mm-hmm. diversity only goes so far as to be like, okay, you can be like a side character, you can be like the witch who goes bad, or you can be like the elf kid who gets shot with an arrow at some point, or you can be like the dryad queen, but God forbid you have a fully fleshed out storyline. Again, in terms of fantasy shows, I was pleasantly surprised at the amount of diversity, but I do think that a lot of it was surface level in a way where it's like, okay, we'll let a few of you appear per episode, but we're not going to give you like a storyline that is actually like integral to the show. Like, Yaskier could have not been a white man. Like, any of the other characters who appear more than once and are not just like rote kind of non-developed could have been non-white. I will say like one of the magic mentors could have been um, yeah not just like the lead evil witch Fringilla. Right though I loved her personally. Oh Oh, yeah she was was great. I loved her story how she went from like she was kind of the um, lesser person in um, the school they're in and then turns out spoiler alert she fucks everything up like she's (laughs) making mages under her kill themselves and turn themselves into fireballs. Mm-hmm. Like, she is a badass. I want a story dark, about her. <laughs> she was. Magic. I just wish they had explained how that happened. <laughs> they just went from her being, like, this kind of quiet girl who's, like, assignment to the kingdom that she wants doesn't go the way she wants, and then it's like, and now she's in a cult. And now she's burning down everything. Yeah. I will yeah. say that the person who plays um, Yennefer, Yennefer, she is yeah. half Indian. Yeah, yeah, she's half Indian. Like Anya she's not. Chalatra. Yeah, she's not white they are all white passing however one thing that seemed weird to me with Anya Chalatra as you mentioned is Indian British um is that it feels like when at the beginning when Yennefer is like kind of a like impoverished hunchback before she gets her like womb glow up she she looked more sort of like visibly Indian to me like I didn't know anything about her yeah and then once she gets hot they light her and make her up to seem much more white yeah I mean her womb was definitely a whitening cream It was a, I, yeah, you know, that's what happens when you take your womb out as you get whiter, apparently. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. I feel like the showrunners were kind of thinking about it in a very superficial way, and I appreciate the efforts that they made, but, like, I'm not going to point to the show as some kind of, like, triumph in fantasy. Like, it could have been a lot better. Someone said this on Twitter. I think it was, like, Mickey Kindle or something. But, like, The Witcher is inherently a very cruel universe, and so a part of me was glad not to see a bunch of black characters get like killed off in some terrible way minor blessings i guess like i'm just glad it wasn't like a game of thrones scenario where all the poor brown people start worshiping this white lady you know so right could have been worse <laughs> could have been worse <laughs> <Rachel's> <laughs> statement on most things in diversity could have been i mean worse. it does point to me to like one of the benefits of like algorithmic entertainment which obviously has a lot of like downsides you know, there were like diverse audiences out there for this stuff, and like Netflix has the data that shows them that, and then they just put that data back into the show. And they're like, if you cast a show with all white people, like you're gonna lose like whatever twenty eight percent percent of our viewers. Um, and that's like, in a way, sort of all you want is just like pay attention to the fact that like there's people there rather than you know movie studios or TV networks just going with their biases about like what people will and won't watch. Like, the dad actually mm, yeah. kind of works in to the good here. I just wanted some gay stuff to pop up, too. And that was nowhere to be found. 
I don't know. I, I think of fantasy as an inherently queer genre for me. Like, that's that's one of the reasons I love it so much. And um, it was disappointing that there was no, like, hit, like... It would have been nice if maybe like Yaskier was into mm. men or something. Yaskier or... is coded as gay in both the show and the games. He's like he's definitely gay coded, but he but like as they'd... far as I know, he's pretty straight. Well, yeah, acting. and they even talk about like in the uh, in some of the episodes, like the um, when they go to the banquet and when they find the djinn, um they talk about Yasker's exploits with women and stuff, and like that's fine, whatever. But like I don't know, just he's definitely also. With dudes. Yeah, yeah. Come but on. I, I would have just Come liked on. a bit more of, like, I don't know, gay stuff. There's even, like, a I big orgy scene in this, which I think, like, you see two women kissing for a minute or something, but it's, like, it's a pretty, like... Oh, mm-hmm. In the orgy? <laughs> pretty, like, heterosexual <laughs> orgy for, you know, it's not... Well, yeah, and, like, wilder. nobody seems to have any agency in that at that point. They're all just kind of, like, under a spell. Under a spell and then she says that one word that's, I don't know, it was, like, spam or something, and they all just kind of... <laughs> Uh, or like avocado kumquat, like, right? Did you say yeah. spam like the fake meat? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's my magic word. Spam. Uh, well, it does seem also pretty chaste. It was. I would not say that. Yeah, I was like, there's a lot of sex in this show. Okay, maybe I just. There's wasn't. an. I mean, there's a and a lot of boobs. Yeah, a lot of boobies. But also, I was like, come on, we can't even get like a Henry Cavill butt. Like, what are that, where's that the quality? <laughs> Like, come on, guys. That's just not fair. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I'm pretty sure the algorithm would tell them that they need more Henry Cavill, just generally. So. Well, there's always hope for a second season. True. Yes. I am thrilled there's going to be a second season. They renewed it before it even premiered. Yeah. yeah. I'm just so glad they were willing to spend so much money on this. Yeah. As someone who I, is very upset at Netflix for canceling the OA, yes, I'll bring it up whenever I can, Um I do appreciate that they were willing to put so much money behind this and make it like an expensive looking, well-made fantasy series as opposed to a lot of fantasy series, which the reason that I cannot watch them is because they are so cheap and the magic looks so bad and um, is just, it looks like they're on sets from the original Star Trek sometimes. And so like for this show to really just put all the money into it. I I was very happy. I thought the sets were shining in this. The I thought the monsters looked a little wonky sometimes. That dragon and some of the other um like the satyr creature mm-hmm. uh didn't totally work. But I agree. There's clearly some money in the show. Especially I thought the costumes were all really well done and mm-hmm. um it was easy to sort of fall into the world uh in that way that you want in a really good fantasy show as opposed to um, say a BBC sci-fi show from the early '90s, where it looks like it's made in a tin can, or Doctor Who today. Um. Oh, Daniel! <laughs> what do y'all think about the comparisons to Game of Thrones? Clearly, there is some Game of Thrones thought put behind this, but it also seems to want to be its own thing. I didn't mind the Monster of the Week stuff. I thought yeah. that it was interesting how they were able to kind of weave the Monster of the Week stuff into the larger political world. But again, that comes from somebody who has a larger understanding of what's going on in this universe. So it didn't bother me. Um, And I'm all for something that's a little lighter than Game of Thrones, something that's a little campier, that still has some of the same political intrigue. That isn't as boring and slow and lacking in magic. I mean, I think that is what I liked about this show more than Game of Thrones is that whenever Game of Thrones tried to be funny, it always fell flat for me a little bit. It was just like, okay, sure, Tyrion's fine. 
But this show seems to not want to be super serious, which I really enjoy. Like, it feels like there's an embarrassment with Game The pretension Thrones. wasn't there. Yeah, exactly. Like, it feels like some of them are like, we're going to try and make fantasy serious and important and political. And the show is like, yeah, that exists, but also, like, this shit's dumb. <laughs> yeah, like, Game of Thrones tried to trick us into thinking that people like Kit Harington could act. <laughs> this show is not trying to do any sort of thing like that. Wow. Yeah, the best part of this show is no Emma Clark and no Kit Harington. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, I think it is not afraid to be like not only silly, but like, like you said, Rachel, like actively kind of dumb. And it's like not kind of trying to be stuffy and period PC. I think there's and it took me a little while to sort of adapt to this, but there's a moment in like, I don't know, I think the first or second episode where I can't remember what they say to them, but someone says something to Gerald and, and Henry Cavill responds, that's not a thing. Um, <laughs> and just like. Oh, they're not even trying to make this sound like this. You know, they're not doing like sort of fake like 13th century dialogue or whatever. Like people say shit all the time and they ask your character. I mean, it's it's completely just like a little convention fanboy just tagging along and, uh, you know, just incredibly like modern character that there feels like nothing, you know, faux medieval about. And so there is that real this is maybe a little bit grandiose, but it sort of reminds me of like Carrie Fisher in the Star Wars movies where she just like is not trying to do like the genre thing at all. Just some of the characters just feel like really kind of modern and contemporary. And that's sort of a fun element. I don't know that there's any risk of taking it too seriously to begin with, but the show certainly does not take itself seriously. Yeah. Yasker also writes a fantastic song. Um, (laughs) Yes. We have to talk about it. Yeah. Toss a coin to your Witcher is (laughs) best song of 2020. Um, give it all the awards. It needs a Grammy. I'm into it. I'm ready to start, like, learn it on guitar and start singing it with my friends. It's just one of those songs, like, like, it sticks in your head, but it's not annoyingly sticking in your head, at least for me. I don't know how everybody else feels. Ben's face. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> it's definitely stuck in my head. It's got quite a hook. So yeah. what are saying is it's not the reigns of Castamere. I do not even know what that That's is. That's a Game of Thrones <laughs> See, song. Game of Thrones is bad, guys. Um, <laughs> performed Ooh, by the National. Hot take. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like, I mean, there must be, you know, a billion, like, you know, bedroom acoustic guitar, like, YouTube covers out there already. I know, like, so there's, like, a Ukrainian There's a lot of metal has done a version of it. Yeah. I mean, this is a show that is kind of, like, built to be memed in some ways. I don't know if they anticipated that was the thing that would take off, necessarily. But that song has been called, uh, you know, like, a jam and a bop um, and, like, <laughs> everything else. People have really latched onto it. The banger. It slaps. Uh-huh. As some of the kids say, it fucks. <laughs> yeah I do appreciate at one point that Yaskier is writing a song and he's literally at one point says that's a lot of exposition to just put in a song and I'm just like wow <laughs> the meta narrative <laughs> the levels <laughs> yeah he was he was he was fun. Yeah. I really enjoyed Yaskir a lot um, and wished, I, I kind of wish there was more of him, honestly. I think there will be. The yeah. way they left it off where Geralt was just like, fuck off, I hate you. It was like, oh, they're going to they're gonna be fine. They're going to get back They're going to be best friends. Yeah, yeah. it's like, it's going to be entirely fine. Yeah, I mean, honestly, if season two were just uh, Geralt and Yennefer and Yaskir roaming the lands, solving monster <laughs> problems... I'm here for it. Throw him in a mystery machine, uh, get him a monster that talks, and make them all go do Scooby-Doo adventures. It is, it's funny. We spent most of this time just talking about all the things we disliked about the show, but it really does function as like more than the sum of its parts, right? Mm-hmm. Like That's sort of the magic of all of this. It's like just being in the world and going on in these mysteries. Like I thought the, the episode where um, they are trying to figure out 
the it's the king whose kingdom is being terrorized. Oh yeah, the by Striga. The, yeah, the Striga, who's like the cursed unborn child mm-hmm. of his sister, who he was having an affair with. Always got to have incest in a fantasy yeah. show. Um, it's part of the bingo. Yeah, that felt very much like a side quest in The Witcher Three, which I really enjoyed. Like. And also shown a light on, like, the sort of how the world operates. And um, it was cool. I yeah. really enjoyed it. I really love the Monster of the Week. It reminded me of, like, all the best parts of what Supernatural used to be um, before it got bogged down in political plot lines. Okay, calm down. Supernatural is still great and will be even after it's off the air at the end of this year. Anyway, and I <laughs> think that, again... When you step back from the show, it's very easy to kind of nitpick it apart just to be like, oh, this didn't make sense. This didn't make sense. But I think Ben's right in that when you're in the world, it's just really enjoyable and you kind of don't want to leave. Like, I didn't binge it all one time. I watched it over a few days. And I would kind of always be like, I can't wait to go home and, like, begin to watch The Witcher again just to figure out what's happening. It's a really enjoyable and fun show. And I do think the second season is going to be better because this season felt very much like the chessboard placing you're just putting all the characters in the right places it felt like the first episode of every season of game of thrones basically where you're just like okay cool we know everyone's at everyone's cool and then the second season feels like you're actually gonna get the best parts of the universe well that'll be along in 2021 um until then we'll just have to (laughs) sing toss a coin to your witcher as many times as it takes (laughs) until we get there (laughs) That is our show. Please subscribe to the Slate Spoiler Special podcast feed. And if you like the show, please rate and review it in the Apple Podcast Store or wherever you get your podcasts. If you have suggestions for movies or TV shows we should spoil, or if you have any other feedback you'd like to share, please send it to spoilers at slate.com. Our audio engineer is Merritt Jacob. Our producer is Rosemary Belson. For Benjamin Frisch, Rachel Hampton, and Daniel Schrader, I'm Sam Adams. Thanks for listening. Also going to your Witcher. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.